You're about to experience filling the air with words. Version 2.0, honoring Jane Shannon, who co-created this conversational podcast. Thanks to the magic of Zoom, we're about to spend some quality time with Dr. Christy Preti Fronsack, who lives in Hinckley, Ohio. Christy's specialty is early childhood education. Would that be correct? Yeah, and really more specifically, early childhood special education, which is maybe unfortunate that we have still general ed and special ed, but uh, my area is definitely children with diverse abilities. Diversibilities. You have a lot of great terms that I think you've made up. Diversibilities is one, right? Well, I didn't make that one up, but my husband does say that I make up words and I say them with authority so that people will just believe them. Right, right. Well, that's that's a good relationship right there because you know you could say just about anything if you say it with authority, right? Right. I think I learned that actually from my mentor at the University of Oregon. Got to give a shout out to the great state of Oregon, right? Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Diane Bricker, I suspect she made up many words as well, but she always spoke with authority. And so I think that was just part of my training was to do the same. Let's talk about that thing. I personally am really tired of hearing the coronavirus label. It just sounds like something that, I don't know, it doesn't seem threatening to me where COVID-19 is like, whoa. Mm. But how are you doing in terms of first your personal life and then we'll get into your work? Yeah, we probably don't want to stay on my personal life for long because it's a hot mess. I told my husband, I said, I always thought I was kind of a crisis kind of person. Like if there's a crisis, you'd want me in your corner. But I've decided that that's like a known crisis. Like if there was a fire or an emergency and I can take action, I will like go into autopilot and everybody, I got it, lock it down, let's go. But this anticipatory impending can't see it, don't know if it's there, just makes my brain not know what to do. So I'm in fight or flight, freeze or faint uh, most of the time. When you talk, and I've heard you talk about that fight, flight, freeze, or what? What's the last one? And faint. Faint. Ooh, I haven't heard the faint part. Yeah, it's um, helpful. It's, It's part of the freezing. It's just where you're paralyzed and you can't take action or you don't know what to do. I've heard you talk about that before, and it's in the context of early childhood education. How can you relate that to the adult world right now? Yeah, so it's it's all humans. And so our bodies are wired to take a threat and decide what action can keep us safe. And so if that threat is so impending or so overwhelming that it puts us in one of those states of arousal, fight or flight. And we sometimes call that the red zone where your body's just like, let's go. And then freeze or faint. Some people call it the blue zone or this hypo arousal. And you just are like a deer in the headlights is how I talk about it. It's like when you see a deer, like you're driving long 101 and the deer just freezes And they look at you like, you can't see me, can you? And you're like, no, I can still see you. And you're like, nope, if I hold really still, you can't see me. And that's that kind of protection that the body goes into. And so normally, as humans, move through those states all the time. And so when Barb Avila and I talk about it for young children, sometimes those states can be really high peaks and really deep valleys. 
And what we want to do is smooth it out. Humans will always go up and down, but we want it to be more like a lovely wave. And so for me right now, with COVID-19 and this anticipatory doom, I am either up or down. There's like no gentle roll in the middle. And so I think a lot of humans are feeling that. They're either fight or flight or freeze or faint. There's not this beautiful middle ground or even just a little bit high, a little bit low. It's like, woo! Yeah, it's sort of bipolar in a way. Yes, right? yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you're advising the educators that you work with about how to deal with that with kids, what do you say? We have a couple of analogies, but we usually use kind of the if you've ever flown and the flight attendant will say, put your own mask on before helping others. It's sort of this corny thing, but it's real. Like we cannot help children experience calm if we aren't calm, but that's the rub right now is we aren't calm. And so, and then the person next to you might not be calm. So if I look to my husband to help me stay calm and he's not, then we're all just, you know, spiraling, but that's the main message. We pull from neuroscience. There's a four S's. So children need to feel safe, seen, soothed, and secure. So our job as teachers or grandparents or parents or therapists or whatever we are to young children, that's my biggest concern right now, Robert, is that we're thinking, schools are thinking, we need to do school at home. And I'm thinking we need to do school differently by thinking about the current circumstances children find themselves in. And maybe we should be doing that all along. So our job is first and foremost, are children safe, seen, soothed, and do we have a secure attachment? Then we can worry about math, reading, science, and all that good stuff. But I feel like because many districts are also in the fight or flight right now, they're just like, here are lessons. Here's Zoom. Here's our online course management system. So as parents and grandparents, of which I am proud to be one. What's the best thing that we can do? You know, there's there's a hierarchy here, right? There's a family yeah. system. So at the top would be someone like me, a patriarch. And then you work your way down to your own children, then your grandchildren. And then what's the best way to do the S's in yeah. a, a family if, system like this? If it, w- it would be beautiful, like if we had a one size fits all. And so the complexity is for your family, you all need to decide what makes your family feel safe, seen, soothed, and secure. And so like for me, I don't have children, but I said to my husband, this is what I need you to say when I don't feel safe. And he looks at me like, you're giving me a script? And I said, yes. And I know you'll be reading from the script, but it will make me feel better if you say these things. Now that may not work for somebody else. Somebody may have a partner who knows what to say without a script, (laughs) right? So, you know, you gotta be what we call attuned. You have to know. And then more and more, what I'm learning is just ask the person. We had an amazing conversation yesterday with um, a colleague, Ijuma Jordan, around the spread of racism and how to not give up on that conversation when we're all talking about these other things. So we were talking about interrupting the spread of racism during the pandemic. And 
people said, well, what happens if I witness somebody saying something like the Chinese virus? Or what if on my Facebook thread, somebody shares that they were the recipient of a racist remark? What should I say back? Like what would be help them feel safe, seen, soothed, and secure? Yujuma <laughs> very calmly says, ask them. Yeah. I was like, ah. So that's sort of a long answer to your question. We have to ask our partners and our children, what would help you feel safe right now? Do you feel seen? What would help you feel soothed? And then keep working on that secure attachment. Yeah, the secure attachment conversation is is really important. It was Dr. Was it Dr. Dan? Yeah, Dan Siegel. Uh The idea of everything in our emotional well-being really stems from that. Absolutely. You know, and and the secure attachments are the people we're living with first, and then all of the other people that come into our world in some way, sometimes via Zoom, actually. Sometimes via Zoom. (laughs) Via Zoom. Yeah, and it's really hard with little kids because we have this conflicting, we want to reduce screen time, but during this time where schools are closed, we want them to still have that connection with their teachers and other professionals, especially for children that spend a lot of time with occupational therapist or physical therapist or a counselor, or even like we were talking about Barb Avila, that's their person who grounds them. So we're kind of this balancing act between screen time and actually connecting. But then for me, I want kids to play, but we have to be realistic that so many families are still trying to work from home slash survive from home. And so play seems like a commodity that we can't quite afford right now. Have you seen the meme you probably have that relates directly to screen time? And it says, if you're worried about your children having too much screen time, turn on closed captioning and they'll be reading. (laughs) No, I had not seen that. When you think about education in general, and I've heard you talk a lot about inequity. Equity and equality are hard because they sound an awful lot alike, but they're really different. So equal would be that idea of giving everybody the same amount or the same thing in the same way. Equity would be this idea of giving what is needed to have access, to be able to participate, to be part of the community, to not be marginalized. What happens right now, from my perspective, is that our educational system is much more about equality than equity. And so we have been doing marginalization and we've done racism and we've done ability-isms, all these different isms. I like that, yeah. And it's just now becoming obvious to everybody. But activists have known all along that our educational system has been failing many, many of our citizens. And so the more marginalized you are by society, the more marginalized you are by educational practices. This is just, you. there's nowhere to hide right now. You just, you can't close your door of your school and say that we have an equity strategic plan that's like going to make it all better. It's like completely obvious you don't. And that, I don't mean that as more public blame and shame to teachers or administrators. It's more of our society's view 
about the purpose and role of education. Do you think that when we do get out of this tunnel, I mean, whatever analogy, you know, I know it's really, know yeah, it's like, uh, it. I don't know when it stops thunder and lightning, when whatever happens, do you feel like that this ultimately might be a good thing for public and private education? So because I'm in the peaks and the valleys, I'm going to work really hard to come into the middle to answer that. Because what I mean by that is sometimes I have such great hope. I'm like, there's been more innovation in education in two weeks than I have seen in my lifetime, probably more than just my lifetime. And then there's this other part when I go down in despair is I think about all of the economic implications of what's going on. And my fear is that the rich will get richer. So all of these testing companies and or people that, again, from my perspective, have been influencing educational policies and practices will now create online systems that, as we've just mentioned, marginalize students even further, students with diverse abilities, students without internet, students who aren't safe, seen, soothed, and secure, students who don't have their basic needs met. And it will become more and more that that's, we've outsourced education now to but I said I was going to be in the middle. So <laughs> when I'm not freaking out, I say to myself, absolutely, it has to be different. There's no way that we can return to what was. It's like the veil has been removed. Now, some will. Some will go right back and try to get back to that because that's their comfort and that will be what will make them feel better. But I think a lot of parents and a lot of community, just childcare in particular, right? If two weeks ago, I would have said, you know what? Childcare providers are really marginalized. They're living in poverty. You're not giving them a living wage. You're not respecting them. People would have been like, but they're babysitters. Mm. Now, all of a sudden, people are like, woo, we might need those people. How can we, what should we? Now, we're still marginalizing them. We're not treating them, you know, schools closed, but child cares have to stay open. So we've got still inequity within early care and education, but I don't think there's any way we can come on the other side of this and be blind to that we've got to do early care and education differently. In terms of just being a human yeah. in this time, because that's really, I, I love when you talk about mindfulness with children but just can you translate that into mindfulness with each other, whether we're seeing someone sneeze at the grocery store mm. or, you know, whatever, whatever it is during a, during a time like this. Like I've talked to an astrologer. I've talked to a yoga teacher. I've talked to musicians, obviously. I've talked to business people and the people I'm talking to, you know, it's like we're all preaching to the choir here, right? Mm. I mean, really, when it comes right down to it. And I wish I could remember, maybe you know it, there's a line that somebody said, maybe in a movie, maybe they wrote it, that said, you know, it's okay to preach to the choir because it lifts them up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, th I think I got it right. I think you did. But in terms of like the people who were preaching to, and I'm sure you see this with your podcast people, what do you, other evolutionaries, revolutionaries? Yeah, we call them two different things, solutionaries, and we call them 
uh, revolutionaries. Both are terms from Grace Lee Boggs, who was an amazing activist out of Detroit. And solutionaries is what children at the Grace Lee Boggs School have like on their shirts and stuff. That's who they are. They are there to be providing solutions to the revolution. And then we call early care and educators revolutionaries. And the parentheses is around the R because the emphasis is on evolution change. And it always starts with ourselves. So where you're kind of going in terms of like when we're preaching, we're really reflecting and asking ourselves how do I want to show up? Why is this bothering me? Why did I have that reaction? Why did I have that racist thought? Why did I act without thinking and therefore it caused harm? And then what can I do to repair that harm versus feeling guilty or feeling shameful? But what can I do to repair? So let's call you Preacher Christy right now. Okay. And take that evolutionary, revolutionary philosophy and tell those who might not have embraced it. And, and I would ask you to widen it to the world right now. Okay, goodness. And talk to adults, children, dogs, cats, whatever you want. But, but I would love to hear your thoughts from that perspective on how people can help themselves. From a revolutionary perspective? Yeah. I've been called a preacher before, which is really interesting. Because I think because I do have a lot of opinions, but I would say to become a revolutionary, grace would invite us to turn inward and to become and be concerned more with what our own thoughts and actions are versus telling other people what they should be doing, even though I do a lot of that, you might. So I guess as I think about all of us as humans, just be gentle with where you are right now. And this I have to practice every day because I want to be further in my journey. I want to be more aware. I want to be less racist. I want to be more compassionate. But only thing I can do is say, this is where I am right now. And then just be super aware of that. We also talk about what is the ideal self and what is the current self. And so that comes from appreciative inquiry and positive psychology, personal growth theory. But it's this idea of like, do you know where you want to go? And do you understand where you are right now? And then what's one step you can take to bridge that distance? So it's not like I'm not forward thinking. Like I do want to be something better. And I acknowledge who I am right now. And then I think for right now, what's one step that I could take? So that would be my invitation to anyone that wants to revolutionize education, you know, even musicians, how we go about our work, therapists, how they go about their work, artists of any kind, business people, like it doesn't matter those labels. If we're all humans, we've got to think about how we cohabitate on this planet. And that cohabitation is with the earth as well. So what's ideal? What would be ideal for my family? What would be ideal for my business? What would be ideal for my community? And where are we right now? And what's one step we could take towards that ideal, I guess is what I would think today. You know, one thing we haven't talked about, tell me about special needs kids. Oh, diversibilities? Diversibilities. The kids right now who as we both know, rely on routine, are yeah. sometimes hard to handle, are often in the red zone, 
What's the best advice that you can give to caregivers and parents about that population of kids in a time like this? So I usually tell people they have two jobs. One is the parent or the teacher, whatever you think your job is with that child. And the other is a boat captain. So I picked the boat captain because it was so different than, and plus Barb Avila and I talk about storms and boats and all these analogies, but I really got on the boat captain. And the boat captain, if they have a passenger on their boat, let's say if you've ever been on a cruise, you know how the very first part, there's this safety drill that you have to do before you can do anything else like drink. You know, you have to go to your station and they tell you all this stuff. And so you know all the rules. You're not supposed to get in the water. You're supposed to wear your life vest. This is your zone, whatever. And then the cruise starts and everybody's at the margarita mix maker and going on their way. And let's just say somebody went overboard. Well, a boat captain isn't going to come over and say to you as a passenger, hey, remember during our safety debriefing, these were the rules. You were supposed to use your walking feet while you were on deck. You weren't supposed to be swimming until the designated time. You know, they don't restate the rules and try to teach in that moment. They're going to absolutely grab a lifeline with very little talking and get that person to safety. So I try to help people remember that when somebody is in need, and we would say needs, not wants. So the child needs my attention. The child needs support. The child needs a lifeline. Not that they want my attention. They want their way. They want that I'm now the boat captain. And so if a child is struggling with this new routine or there isn't yet a routine or every day has to be a little bit different because we haven't figured out our new normal, then we have to recognize that our job might be mostly as a boat captain. And so all day, every day, our job is to offer lifelines. And lifelines are things like even empathy, validating a strong emotion, sitting near someone so they can't physically hurt themselves or others. It just depends on the child what kind of lifeline they may need. But so like from when I made the script for my husband, when I get anxious or whatever, he's supposed to ask me, what would make you feel more calm right now? Or he can say to me, do you want to talk through our finances? Because it helps me to talk through, now this is how much money we have and how long will it last? Because dollars and numbers don't stay in my head. So he wrote it on a piece of paper and I can look at it whenever I need to. Right. We have this many months if we do these sorts of things. Does that make sense? So that's a lifeline. So I just say to people, all of us, it's just hard to offer yourself a lifeline. So sometimes that's a challenge, but that if we are home with coworkers, that's what we've started calling our children and our pets and our partners is our coworkers. And your coworkers are driving you crazy and you can't get any work done. You just might need to be the boat captain for a while and not the mom or the grandma or the dad or the sibling. What does the boat captain do for him or herself to stay sane in situations like this? It's always so hard because you can't throw yourself a lifeline. So really it has to be preventative, which is like, but I'm already overboard. I've already flipped my lid. I'm already at the peak or the valley. And that's back to your point about mindfulness. That's where the practice has to come in that you notice you're starting to escalate or you notice you're starting to deescalate and how can you put the brakes on? 
And so that's the best thing we can do. If your lid has flipped, let it go. You're going to get it practice again later. Just do your best to step out, step aside, get back into homeostasis, feel calm. And then maybe make a thing like I did. What makes me feel calm is if I look at my numbers. What makes me feel calm is saying to my husband for the eighth time, have you washed your hands? He's quarantined, but we have a shop. And so he goes to his shop. He's a cabinet maker and there's no one there. But I still make him come home and strip down. Like he's not going to the ER and working with anyone. He's just going to work with sawdust, but it still makes me feel better. So those sorts of things and not judging it and just going, yep, that'll make me feel better. Yeah. And yeah. that, that judgment thing too, I, everyone does react to a situation like this in a certain way. Yeah. I've I've equated it to my younger years of surfing on the New Jersey shore, which is just kind of a joke in itself, right? But we all, you know, it was during the Beach Boys and all of that. So we all got surfboards and Volkswagen bugs and we went to the shore and we had our boards on top of the car and we'd pull in and the waves would be, you know, all of three feet high, right? (laughs) Maybe four. And so, but we could surf on them and sometimes you'd be surfing and you'd be just cruising along, I never could hang 10, but, you know, it was a beautiful thing getting on top of a wave. You know, what's yeah. that song? You're sitting on top Being of the world. Blow. Yeah. And it's great. And then there would be times even on a three or four foot wave where, you know, you'd wipe out and sometimes you'd hit your head on the bottom. Sometimes a surfboard <laughs> would come and hit you on the head. And then there would be times where you'd go under and you would be completely disoriented. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that, for me is kind of what I am analogizing, I guess. It's a good one. Anything else that you can think of that's relevant or important, either about your dog, about uh, your work. I think think I've already done TMI, too much information. (laughs) (laughs) Christy Pretty Fonsac. Did I say that right? I, always... I was just going to say, you said it perfectly. Oh, good. Thank you so much for Thank taking you. the time with me from Hinkley, Ohio. Yeah. Thank you for having me and for allowing me to preach and to dream with you. For more about Christie's work, please visit preKteachandplay.com. You've been listening to Filling the Air with Words, version 2.0. Find us on Facebook, SoundCloud, and Twitter. Dedicated to the life and memory of our friend Jane Shannon.